preach this morning. I'm going to preach from, uh, I'm going to preach from uh, 1 Peter. We bring the Bible project and we read a chapter of the New Testament today um, and a chapter of the Old Testament today. And uh, we gather around that during the week um, in many different ways. We gather in the mornings to pray. We gather on Zoom. We gather in groups in homes during the week. And on Sunday, we've committed that we gather around the words that we've all been reading. And we were reading in Peter. And... Um, and I love Peter. You know, I've preached from him before, like from, from, from like him and where he's in the Gospels. But this is like a letter that he wrote. And there's like a parallel almost with some of the songs we sang this morning. Um, I love the worship songs that at the end, you know, like they take you on a, they take you on a journey. And they take you on a journey from like, like adoration of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done. And by the end, you're realizing the implications for your life, Yeah. Like, so before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. He ever lives and pleads for me. There's like this, this intimacy, this connection of how awesome Jesus is. And by the end, we're realizing the implications of it. We're singing like, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. That there's something that, that moves us from like adoration into like uncovering who we are. And all of the best stories do that. Um, like, we're watching Captain Marvel. Anybody see that movie, the Marvel movie with, with Penny during the week? And Penny loves it because it's a female superhero and whatever. But she's, like, gaslighted, doesn't know who she is. And, like, by the end of the thing, she discovers these powers she has and then, like, kicks ass, right? And there's, like, goosebump kind of moments. The music comes on and, the, and everything's happening. Or, or the Matrix, you know, like, it, like, going back years when, like, Neo discovers who he is, you're the one, and all of a sudden he's able to do all this stuff. There's something, like, happens, like, emotionally in us, that ties us to those kind of stories of, of uncovering something, something great within us, uncovering something, usually like it might come from outside source or someone helps us understand it, but like the people who uncover some, some greatness. And I'm convinced that God has placed greatness in your heart um, through Jesus and that this morning we get to uncover some of it. And I think that's what Peter, Peter got to do when he knew Jesus and Jesus like showed him who he was. And, um, and fathers, we spend time in your word um, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that um, I wouldn't get in the way of your word at all this morning, um, but that it would be allowed to carry the weight that it deserves. Lord, we give you our attention. These moments are holy. This we're your people gathered under your name for your glory, um, and we want your voice to be the loudest, Lord. No distractions, Lord God, no um, objections, Lord God. Could our hearts be open to just hearing from your Holy Spirit today um, and uncovering who it is that you said we are as we look on who your son is in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm going to look at, um, I'm going to read from 1 Peter, right? So let me read it out. So Peter wrote this, 1 Peter chapter 2, the living stone and a chosen people. He says, as you come to him, which is Jesus, yeah, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. So this was written by Peter, as I said, one of Jesus' disciples. If you read in the Gospels, you see Jesus calling Peter to follow him. And, uh, and we'll look at that. And Peter uses, like, in the first part, right, uh, up as far as verse 8, just this, this like, metaphor of, of a stone. And it's interesting that Peter does it. Like, so it's like he looks back through the Old Testament and he finds places in Isaiah and places in Psalms. Those bits that are indented there in verses 6 and verses 7, the bits that are kind of pushed in a bit, there are parts where he's quoting from the Old Testament, from things that were written a couple of thousand years before. And he's like, he's, it's like he's filtering through the scripture and pulling out this stuff that has to do with, with stones. And he talks about Jesus being the stone that the builders rejected. And we get what that's pointing towards there, yeah? The, like the rejection of Jesus, like builders, like masons picking a stone, you know, to, to lay a wall. They didn't have like concrete blocks or whatever. They're, they're like masons fitting stuff together. And that they'd rejected this stone, seen this stone as no good. What do we have there? Like the picture of the rejection of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. But it says that, uh, but he's become precious to us. And it says that God has made that stone that was rejected the, the cornerstone. That God took what humans rejected and made it the foundation that he was going to build his kingdom on. What looked like a rejection, what looks like, like Jesus dying on the cross, what looks like a victory for the world over what God had planned is vindicated when God raises Jesus from the dead. When he ascends into heaven and when he sends his Holy Spirit and when he promises his return, that, that point of rejection becomes um, the foundation that his kingdom is built on. And then he, he looks at it at two, as two perspectives, right? So he's like, Jesus is like this cornerstone, and there's two perspectives. There's one, either that you can be, he can be precious to you. As you come to him, the living stone, you're built into a, into a, a spiritual house. In verse 7, now to you who believe this stone is precious, right? Two kinds of people. One person who sees Jesus and recognizes who he is, and sees that he's, that he's precious. And those people who see that become like him. Like we see in the first verses there, you also like living stones. We come to the living stone, and then you who see his precious become to reflect him, become like him. You're like living stones that then Jesus builds up into a, a spiritual house, which we call the church, which is an expression of his kingdom. It's not this building, it's us being, being built together. But then there's a second group of people, the people who, who reject him. To you who believe it's precious, but to those who do not believe, they just see the one that's rejected. And it says he becomes a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. What does that mean? It means there's two things you can do with Jesus. You either get his worth and, and you treat him as precious or he's a stumbling block. He's something that, you know, you reject yourself. And, and as you reject him, it's like you're rejecting God. You're rejecting his invitation. It becomes a, a block that people stumble over. And the point is this, that everyone has to decide what they do with Jesus He's not, a, he's not a neutral character. He's not a character to just... If he's a character to you that was just in history and just whatever, then that's actually a rejection of him because he doesn't leave us with that option. He makes claims that he's the only way to the Father. He doesn't, he doesn't leave you with the option of him being a neutral character. You have to decide, is Jesus who he says he is? Is he who the early church said he is? Is he who the Bible proclaims him to be? Or is he just a man? Maybe with some good thoughts or whatever. But that's a, either he's precious to you or you reject him. He's not a neutral character. And Peter uses this language of stones, right? And, uh, 
And I just had this thought, and I don't, I don't know whether it's true or not, I didn't find it in a commentary or whatever, but I'm like, I wonder does Peter latch on to this whole imagery of stones because of his name? Do you know, do you know the story um, of, of Peter that his name used to be Simon? And the first time he meets Jesus, Jesus says, you won't be called Simon anymore, you'll be called Peter. And Peter means, like, the rock. So literally gave him this nickname, you're, you're the rock. And I'm wondering, in Peter's filter, all of a sudden, is he, like, trying to figure out, what does that mean? What's it, what's it mean that this guy has called me the rock? Does he start, like, all of a sudden going through the Bible looking for anywhere that there's a stone or a pebble or a rock mentioned, like, trying to figure out, what's the significance of this, that he called me the rock? And we see the first time that he heard about Jesus is a reflection of why he's now, what he's now preaching. We're told in, in 1 John that a couple of guys had come to follow Jesus and, and Peter's brother Andrew was there and it says this, one of the two heard John speak and one of the two who heard John speak, this is John the, uh, the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew. He was Simon Peter's brother. And it says he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew's, Andrew's, Andrew goes and finds his brother. He's seen Jesus and he's like, we found the, the Messiah. Like, that's a word that we don't, we don't use a lot. You'll have heard it in reference to Jesus, but Messiah means literally the anointed one, right? Which may or may not offer you any help because what does it mean to be an anointed one? Well, if you look back in the Old Testament, um, there was like three categories of people who got anointed. And to be anointed literally meant like they poured oil over their head in like a ceremony to say, this person is now in this position. They were the prophets, the priests, and the kings of Israel. That when a prophet was recognized, his head was anointed with oil, recognizing this is a prophet. When a priest was set in, heads are anointed with oil, recognizing this is a priest who serves between God and men. When a king was anointed and set in as a king, like they'd be anointed to this ceremony. And so there's this anointing going on of prophets, priests, and kings. The prophets were like the mouthpiece of God. They were the people who at any point in time would reflect what God's heart was to the nation around them, right? People would drift from God and God would send a prophet, an anointed prophet who would come and like call people's hearts back to God. Call people when they'd wander to the left or the right away from what they knew had been revealed to them that God had said. He would send a prophet and a prophet would look to, to call them back. They were like proclaiming who Jesus was. They're one of the anointed categories. The other, the priests. The priests served the people by offering sacrifices to God. They were the people like concerned with intimacy, that, that everything was right between people and God. If prophets spoke to people about God, priests spoke to God about people. Are you with me? They interact in that way. Prophets telling people about the Lord. Priests connecting people to God, offering sacrifices for their sins. And then the kings, those who governed the people, those who provided the people with like protection and the rule of law and 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 like like advice and structure, you know, like a king who like leads his people like towards like a, a good way of of living. Prophets, priests, and kings all anointed. So when Andrew says to Peter, "We found the Messiah, the Messiah, the Anointed One," he's saying there's been a person prophesied, spoke about who was going to come, who would fulfill all of these offices who would be prophet, priest, and king in the fullest of senses. He's saying we found the anointed one, the one who's anointed king, anointed priest, anointed prophet. And it's this guy, Jesus. And Peter automatically like, recognizes that that's who he is and leaves what he has and, and follows him. He was precious. Jesus was precious to him. He wasn't a stone to be rejected. He was, he was precious. And Jesus is 
prophet, priest, and king. That's what I want to look at and then get to who you are in light of it. So Jesus is the true prophet. So there were prophets of old who would say a specific aspect of who God is. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the one who comes and preaches and speaks. Jesus who demonstrates, who lives, who, who heals, who, who casts out demons, who answers questions. He's the one who prophetically speaks what it means to be, to be God. He gives us the perfect image of who God is, the true prophet who reveals God's plans to us. In Hebrews, we know that Jesus is called the great, the great high priest. That we have a priest that's greater than any priest that came before, who's not only the priest, he's the sacrifice. The old priests used to offer sacrifices, like on behalf of the people to appease God. Jesus offers himself. He's the high priest and the great sacrifice once and for all. So he's prophet and he's, he's priest, the one who connects us to the Father at a heart level. It makes it possible to know God. And he's the king. Jesus comes to show us how to live, to rule as king. To submit to his order that restores creation. You know when we talk the Sermon on the Mountain. He speaks blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor. Woe to you when he turns the, the world on its head. He says don't worry about tomorrow. And he says don't do your good deeds before men to have their praise. When he teaches them how to pray. When, when he speaks all of these things. When he commands them. The greatest thing that you can do is love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind and all your strength. And don't leave it at that. Love your neighbor at yourself. Who is my neighbor? Let me tell you a story about who your neighbor is. He's like the one who, who like connects all of the, the things we need to know about God. And living in his kingdom. And rules in that way. And the king is one who also protects protects people, one who defends, that we have Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who commands his angels concerning us. Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king, that's who he is. And that's huge for humanity because what that does is it offers us access to the things that, that we need to, to, to like, like to satisfy our souls. You know, we just search in all sorts of places. Man, what's, what's life all about? Why, like, why does it feel like I'm just like firing on half me cylinders all the time? Well, like, drifting from day to day. Well, like, what's, what's this all? What's this all about? Jesus, the prophet, comes and says, "Here's what it's about." Offers like insight. Like, do we accept that by faith or not? We struggle like feeling lonely or feeling dejected, feeling rejected, even within relationships, feeling empty. Knowing that even like human relationships don't satisfy in the way that it seems where like are we just set up to fail? Like are we just like is there always going to be this until you come to know Jesus, the high priest who connects you intimately with, with the Father and that need is, is satisfied. You don't have to go chasing it in whatever else it is in, in cheap sex or cheap intimacy or, 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 or like, like false intimacy like that. That we can be satisfied at the soul level. The Lord and he's the king when we're like, what's life all about, man? Like, in this information age, like someone's saying do this, someone's saying do that. You can be convinced of whatever perspective you want to have. We need some objective standard of truth. Jesus comes and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That it's in him. He's the king. And as I, as I was thinking about this stuff this week, as I, as I dwelt on it, um, I was reminded of this, this video, right? Because I, I, like, I won't do as good a job as this. Did you manage to get the video, Mal? Working? Perfect. Um, and it's, got, it's by this, this, this guy called S.M. Lockridge. His name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. What a name. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And, uh, and he preached this sermon. It's just an excerpt from it called, uh, called That's My King. And my hope is as we listen to it, like we just are in awe of who, of who Jesus is. You play it first there, Mal.
The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he He's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yes. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. 
He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my is the kingdom and the power and the glory the glory is all his thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and when you get through with all of the forever then amen that's yeah. <laughs> awesome isn't it my god is God is so incredible, and I hope as you, like as you listen to that, that there's something of awe in you. You know, there's something like of response, like that's, that's who Jesus is. But like I started by saying, I hope that 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 awe then translates from that. That's who Jesus is into now. Well, who am, who am I in light of that? That's who He is. Like, what are the implications for me? Like that, the 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 point of of this life is is to become more like Jesus. Now, when we say like we're meant to be more like Jesus, what does that, what does that mean? Well, if Jesus was, here's the, here's the point I want to get to, right? If Jesus was prophet, priest, and king, then that means that that's what, that's what you are. You're called to be prophet, priest, and king. We might be used to hearing language of like the priesthood of all believers, but there's like the office of prophet of all believers, and there's like the kingship of, of all believers and that's what I want to just spend the rest of our time with this morning is what are the implications of that for us to live with a prophetic edge with a kingly edge with with a priestly edge um, in response to who to who Jesus is like if we read again if you put that scripture back up for me uh, Mal the, the big scripture yeah look as we come to him the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So what Peter's saying, like Peter, the rock, Peter, the stone, is like, like Jesus is the living stone, but do you get it? Like As we come to him, we're becoming like him. We're becoming like living stones that are added on. And if we, if we go on the next line, right? Living stones are built into a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. Or maybe you stick with the like, living stones bit and you're like, yeah, well, that means maybe I have a, a space in the church or can we come together and we're all united or whatever. But he takes the language to an extreme. He's like, you're a holy priesthood. This wasn't just written to the people who, who, who wore the collars in a space. Though nobody probably wore collars in that time at all. Like, like that he's, he's saying to every individual believer and to them corporately as a whole, you are a holy priesthood. 
Can you see the language of, 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 like, of prophet, priest, and king in it, even when we get to the, to, the, to the bottom? Listen to this, right? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, kings and priests, yeah? You're a royal priesthood. You're kings and you're priests. What about the prophetic thing? I said the, 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 the job of a prophet is to speak out who God is. What's it say? The purpose of this is, is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may proclaim that stuff, that you would speak it out. That you're a royal priesthood called to declare that you're kings, prophets, and priests, that's, that's huge. That as we come to Jesus, we become like him. Now, am I saying like just in some religious way? No, because look at all the language that surrounds this. It's in the language, in the tone of the stone that the builders rejected, the crucifixion of Jesus. How are, how are we even done that? Because one, we're a chosen people. God in his mercy chose us. God, we know even when we're powerless to choose him, God graces us with the, the grace to even turn our hearts towards him. From first to last, this thing starts and ends with him. God has chose you. Like we weren't saved by works so that anyone could boast. No, it was a gift of God in grace that you are chosen. And he made you into his people. You're his special possession that God chooses you and he picks you up and he keeps you and he holds you as his special possession. It says in other translations, you're like his treasured people. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. How did that happen? Because once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I'm not trying to build you up by telling you you're great, you're great lads altogether. Do you know what I mean? You have all this great stuff inside you. Here's where it comes from. You were once people who were without mercy. And God has showed you mercy. And he's called you. And he's taken you as a special possession. And he's called you his people. And now he says over you, see my son, prophet, priest, and king. By extension, you, my child, indwelled by your Holy Spirit, are called to be prophets, priests, and kings. It's all him. It's all his grace. It's all our honor that we will get to walk in this stuff. This is Peter talking to Christians. In Christ, we become a new nation. A new nation, a new people. Like not nation defined by where you were born or the color of your skin or your social status or whatever. It's like, have you united me, you, in me? God has chosen you as his own and shown you mercy and merged you into the ministry of his son Jesus, making you a prophet, a priest, and a king. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if that's ever landed on you, that you can live like that. Because you can. And let me just take the, the last few minutes we have, just hitting some of the outworkings of that. So king, you're a royal. You're a royal priesthood. And there's loads of implications, right, man? We can preach for the next... 10 years on what it means, the implications of the authority we have in Jesus as members of his kingdom, as ambassadors of sharing in it. Like it says we're seated in Christ with heavenly places right now. Paul talks about times like in the age to come, don't you know that you're going to rule over angels? Stuff that like blows your mind. Like what? What? I wonder David is like, well, who is man that, that you'd be mindful of? Son of man that you'd have mercy on? The, the awesomeness of what God has called us to, that you have a royal anointing on your life, meaning you're invested with royal authority. I'm not going to go into the whole spiritual warfare side of it. I think Bernard might have preached that way in the last, the last week, but do you know the authority that's in you because you're in Jesus? Do you walk in, in that, in, in like royalty? 
Like, do you understand the scope of who it is that's in you and who you are because of that versus anything that could come against you? You see the difference in scale between the Holy Spirit and God and any created thing, the world, the flesh, the devil, whatever you want to call it, that comes against you. If you have authority, you're not on the back foot. You have authority in Jesus. Lord, help us grow in that. Make us aware of it. But in terms of how we relate to one another, we're called to be kingly towards one another. We're not in a king that lords it over, but we know what we know what it looks like for the king of all kings to come to earth. What did he say? I didn't come to serve or to be served, but to serve. I know my life as a ransom for rank. We know that. Like the kingly thing is about like directing like loving people enough to direct them. Loving people enough to enter the world and, and, and direct and correct and discipline and disciple. Not about control, not about power in that way or exercising it, but about like the good of the other. That we have this King Jesus and we're called to reflect him. Protection, instruction. That we teach and we instruct one another in, in love. That we need to call that out of, of one another. Like, like if you only understand yourself as a subject of the king, which we are as well, right? Then your only obligation is obedience, right? So I'm just a subject of the king, so I just live the way he said. Now if you understand yourself as like a co-heir with Christ, if you understand yourself as having a kingly role, now your responsibility isn't just for you. It extends to the people beside you. Now you're not just looking out for number one. You're looking out for, like, man, how can I, how can I bless this guy? How can I come alongside? How can I walk with him? I see him going down a path. Because, guys, we're all, we're all blind to our own sin. That's why God has called us into a community. We're blind to our own sin. The heart is deceitful. We'll convince ourselves that what's wrong is right. You need someone who loves you enough to offend you. You need someone who loves you enough to come alongside and say, man, God has called you to so much better than this. Do you not see? see like out of love we need to be that for one another we're called to be that for one another that when Jesus talks about like the sermon on the mount that we talk like that we, we all, like those words of Jesus which just like turned the world upside down that we're charged not just with obedience to that but to extend and represent and reflect that to those around us to care enough about the person beside, each, beside you that you'll instruct them as the Lord leads you King provides protection and direction. Like, do we look out for one another? Do we protect one another? Part of what love does, yeah, love always protects. We know that in Corinthians. Do we look out for each other? Do we protect one another? Discipline and disciple one another. That's part of the kingly role that's, that's on your life. The priest is a huge one. And I don't know. The Bible calls every believer a priest. Like, I'm not the priest because I get the, the microphone. Or the priest isn't the one who's just been, been, been set in. The Bible calls every believer priest. Now, the usual implication we draw from this, right, the priesthood of all believers, is that, you know, we have direct access to God in Jesus, right? And that's what we celebrate. That's absolutely true. That because there's a great high priest who's pressed into the Holy of Holies, that we with boldness can step in there. That there's nothing separating you from God. No system of religion or whatever. It's been demolished on the cross. The sacrifice has been paid, and now you have direct access to the Father, yeah? At any time, in our time of need especially, we're encouraged. Don't, like, in your time of need, try and get your life together right before you go to God. No, like, recognizing who Jesus is, the scope of the sacrifice, once and for all, it's done. I can, I can go to God. But we've, like, taken that. And we've put this added extra bit on it where it says, well, if everyone's a priest, well, then that means it's just about me and God. Right? Like the individualism of our culture has said, like, it's just about a personal relationship between you and Jesus. It's bull. 
It's not God saved you into a family. He's connected you to a people. None of this is in the singular. It's not you are a royal priest, a holy nation. Can you be a nation of one person? You're not like, it's like you are a royal priesthood. It's like, it's like obligated to one another. People will say, you know, take the priesthood of all believers and mean that, well, I just do my own thing with God. That's all it's about, me and the Lord. And, and, and call that Christianity, maybe hanging it even off this, this verse. But you can't be a Christian in isolation. What's Jesus said, like, what are the two greatest commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right, I can do that by myself. Now, love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. But how do, you, how do you love your neighbor as yourself if it's only about you and him? Like, like we're forgetting the second half of the command. He's, he's united us and connected us. A nation, a priesthood, a people, all plural. So you shouldn't hear here that you're a priest. That means you don't need anyone else. It's just between you and God. You should hear you're a nation of priests. You're surrounded by people who you can approach God with and on behalf of and alongside. That you're a priest to the person sitting beside you. That we're a group of people who collectively express the fullness of God. That you need me and I need you, that you minister to one another. Like in post-Catholic Ireland, or like most of us come from like Catholic backgrounds, we've probably like seen the difference of, well, now in this new religion, I don't have to go to the priest to confess my sins. I just confess them to the Lord. It's just about me and the Lord. I don't need a priest anymore. No, you do need a priest. But the difference is that there's not just one priest now. Now there's 30 of them in the room. James says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Like there's some of our sanctification, some of like the, the stuff that's going on in your life that God wants to bring breakthrough through doesn't happen just between you and God because God has connected you to a family. I don't know, this is like this is so ingrained in us sometimes as like evangelical, whatever word you want to put on a Christians, that but it's just a it's it's a product of the individualism of society rather than an engagement with with scripture and what Jesus has called you to. You're not meant to be on your own. You're meant to be a priest. You're meant to come into this space concerned about the people beside you. You're meant to come into this space thinking, man, what can I do to connect those people with God? What can I do to, like, what, like how do I love them as me? How, like, how, what can I do to help them know this God who I've come to know even more? How can I support them? How can I come alongside them? We don't just go to the priest with our problems, but that the priests are all around us coming to us. What's, what's done for us, we do for others. That we're united, a holy priesthood. The point of this wasn't to get rid of the priesthood, but to get rid of the laity. It wasn't to decrease dependence on one another and just focus it on God. It was to increase it as Christ is in us. Jesus' prayer, make them all one, even as you are all one, Father. 59 one another's in the Bible. Love one another's repeated like 15 or 20 times. Bear one another's burdens. Like consider one another better than yourselves. Lay down your lives for one another. Like, like all of these things connecting us together. There's no such thing as individual Christianity. You don't get to know God in a vacuum. You do it in a family. Confess to one another. We bear one another's burdens. God has connected you to church here. this and obligated you to one another. He set you in as a priest. You're set in as a priest in this place. Man, all of a sudden when you looked around, what would your thoughts be towards the other people? You came into this room like... I'm the priest meant to serve these guys. What would, what would your thoughts be? How would that motive, how would that give you focus, purpose in, in life? It's what God has called us to. It's the opposite of saying, I don't need anyone else. It's saying, I need more people than I thought I did. It's the opposite of saying, it's every man for himself. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Because you're his or her priest and they're yours. Finally, 
prophet. We could look at all the aspects of the gifts. Prophecy, the power now, the Holy Spirit, like the, that spiritual gift side of prophecy and God speaking at a moment in time into someone's life and it's incredible. Um, I want to focus on what this passage in particular talks about. He says, the reason you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Man, God has called me out of darkness and he's brought me into his wonderful light. Thank you, Jesus, that we become people who like, what can I tell you? Tell you what Jesus has done. People who are ashamed or embarrassed. And I get the fear thing. I get the peer pressure thing. I get the not wanting to look like an idiot thing. But man, the scope of what God has done. He's called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once I didn't know mercy, now I've known mercy. Once I wasn't his possession, now I am. I'm his special possession. Once I didn't, I was floating through life not knowing what to do. Or I was being destroyed by life. And God's put my feet on a rock. And he's knitted me into this family. And he's called me a prophet, a priest, and a king. And I'm assured of his return. Like, you know, this scope the message of your testimony people need what you have if you know one thing about God that it's worth sharing like we have just this profound revelation like we're called to be prophets the last of the prophets Old Testament style prophets was John the Baptist and uh, and Jesus says about John the Baptist he's the, like the greatest who's ever been born amongst women right and then he goes on to say in the next line he says but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist the very least in the kingdom of God is greater than, than John the Baptist, this big heroic figure. And why is that? Because, man, we have such a greater revelation. John didn't know who Jesus was. John recognized he's the Messiah. He didn't know Jesus was going to go and sacrifice his life on the cross for our sins. He didn't know that three days later God was going to raise him from the dead, that he was going to appear to hundreds of people. He didn't know that he was going to ascend into heaven. He didn't know that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on all flesh. He didn't, he, he didn't know that people were going to be brought from darkness into light. He didn't know that Jesus would end up seated at the right hand of the Father, that he was going to return and restore all things. He didn't know all of the things that we know. Armed with what he did know, he was the greatest to live. But do you see what you're armed with is like so much greater. These are profound, like incredible, mind-blowing truths. And man, they're just stuff that we just can't can't keep to ourselves. I love how it's even personalized here. It's like, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Don't take what I say and reflect, like, what's he done in your life? Where's the darkness he's taken you out of? What's the light he's brought you into? And how do you just proclaim that? How do you declare it? Even if you're in darkness right now, let me know that, let me know that Jesus is there with you. And he'll lift you up out of it. You need to remember this stuff. And when we do, there's a platform for it. And I'm convinced as we engage, as we come to understand ourselves, it's like in this kingly role and engage with one another and disciple and correct and, 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 and love one another. As we engage in this priestly role, and carry each other's burdens and point one another to Jesus, that more and more we'll see breakthrough in our lives and we'll have more and more examples of how to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We won't be talking about stories from 30 years ago. I'll be like, let me tell you what God did this morning in my life when I was struggling. Let me tell you what you did in my family this week. Let me tell you what I got to do when walking in this adventure with the Lord who's bringing all things together in, in Jesus. I hope, and let me just even pray because that's better than I hope, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I pray, Lord, that, um, that we'd find ourselves not just in awe of you, you know, I've asked and asked, Lord, that 
that we would be in awe, that awe would be our portion, right? That, that constantly we would come into your presence and just like know that, like jaw dropping, like surrender, fall back, fall on our backs, fall on our faces. God is holy, amazement at who you are. Um, and we thank you that you answer that, Lord. Um, I'll pray over me and over each person here, everyone's part of liberty. Um, but I wouldn't stop at that, that you called us to reflect that glory. And the more we see you, Jesus, the more enamored we are, the more in awe we are, the more grateful we are, just the scope of what you've done for us, that that will be extended. And I'll speak over these people even prophetically, Lord, that, that the heart of like priests and pastors will come to the forefront. Your Holy Spirit is in our lives, that we would begin to love one another the way that we've seen in the Bible and the way that you've held out is the way for humanity as priests, that we would be like kingly towards one another in service and in protecting and in guarding and in speaking the truth. Um, that we would be prophetic people then, people who just don't keep this to ourselves but proclaim the greatness. We're people who know what you've said, Lord. We talk to one another about it and we talk to the world about it. We talk to you about it, Lord. I bless your people and I pray that they would explore and be in awe and, and figure out and live in light of what it means that you were prophet, priest, and king and that they are too. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um,